you're an inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I've been busy preparing for my upcoming travel season, but I still managed to do a little bit of snow skiing up at our local ski resort, Monarch Mountain. Also squeezed in a little bit of mountain biking. We hauled our bikes down to a lower altitude and did a little winter riding, which was fun. And I have absolutely managed to do a lot of horseback riding on my little mare, Annie. Um, Mostly, we've been stuck riding indoors in the indoor arena, which gets incredibly boring for both Annie and me. But it keeps us in shape, and it keeps both of us from getting a middle-aged spread, I suppose. So I'm ready for spring, and I'm eager to ride outdoors again. And in the meantime, I'm grateful to be able to endure this um, Rocky Mountain winter we have here in the Colorado mountains and uh, be able to ride all winter as many people um, don't have that opportunity. I got the new saddle I ordered for Annie and it fits her pretty well. I'm still having to work to find the best padding solutions for her to address her asymmetry in the shoulders and also her very round and short body is um, a challenge for saddle fit. So I think experimenting with various types of padding, I can get her in a real comfortable fit with this new saddle. It's odd to be riding in a brand new saddle and and not my you know old broken saddles. Um, so I'm enjoying having it and I'm super excited to have gotten it before my upcoming event. This weekend, Annie and I head to Denver for the Rocky Mountain Horse Expo, where we will perform live on Saturday in front of an audience for the first time in two years. So that's pretty exciting. I'm not sure Annie's all that excited about it. Well, to be frank, I'm not sure she really knows, but um, I'm excited to be going. It'll be fun to be on the road again. It'll be fun to meet some new horses and their people. And it's going to be great to see a lot of old friends there. So I'm looking forward to that. I have a full slate of horse expos coming up this spring. In addition to doing live presentations in Colorado, I'll also be at expos in Michigan, Oregon, Idaho, and Wisconsin this spring. I look forward to meeting some of you at one of these expos. I'd love to connect with my podcast listeners and hear what resonates with you. So if you have a chance to come to one of those expos, I'd love to hear from you. If not, make sure you leave a comment online. Later this year, I'm headed back to Ireland to lead a riding vacation with the Connemara Equestrian Escapes. That will be in September. And it's a small group experience with me as your guide and coach. You'll enjoy daily horsemanship clinics plus cultural tours. Um, Best of all, we all get to ride together on the wild Atlantic coast. There are only two or three openings left in that clinic. So if you're interested in traveling to Ireland for a riding vacation in the fall, um, you want to go online and check that out right away. 
For more information on my clinics for sexpos and riding vacations, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's topic is about the importance of establishing boundaries in your personal life, your family life, and yes, even with your horse. I'll talk about why establishing boundaries with horses is important for your own safety and for the safety of others that are around your horse, and also how important clear and consistent boundaries are for developing a strong bond of trust with your horse. Perhaps the easiest way to think about boundaries and what that means is just to simply think about what's okay with you and what's not okay. So for personally, for myself, um, I have certain things that are okay with me and certain things that aren't okay, whether that is uh, involves physical touch or closeness or, uh, you know, discussions or language or word choice or behavior, um, I have things that are okay with me and things that are not okay with me personally to display, and also what I expect of others that are around me. So boundaries are there, whether you're aware of them or not, and boundaries are always important. They're important for people. It's important for you to understand and, and know this about yourself, to have an awareness of what your boundaries are and if they are appropriate for you and to be clear on your boundaries. Now, you know, I've always been a, a relatively confident and assertive person and I've lived my whole life around horses, which requires you to sort of stand up to a big animal sometimes. So I've always thought I was pretty good about understanding my own boundaries, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago I was uh, maybe 51, 52 years old, when I really learned that I did not fully understand my own personal boundaries. And this involved um, incidents, many incidents actually over time uh, between my son and myself. And my son was suffering from a nearly fatal brain injury. He had and ha still has um, the remnants of a very serious brain injury, which caused um, a great deal of emotional turmoil, um, psychotic delusion, and uh, just a lot of terrible stuff that comes with that kind of injury. And I was working very hard with his therapist to, to help him as best I could and it was actually the therapist explaining to me that I was not being clear enough on my own personal boundaries and that that was causing a negative effect on my son's behavior. And once that, as soon as she said it, it was like this huge, you know, light bulb moment when I realized I would not let anyone else talk that way to me or act that way around me. I, I would have zero tolerance 
um, from anyone else of that behavior. So why would I tolerate it in my own son? Um, perhaps it was because I felt sorry for him um, because I knew um, the struggles he had with the brain injury and I knew it wasn't really him. However, she was very clear, the therapist was very clear that I could not help him uh, without getting very clear on where my boundaries were and to understand that. And immediately I, uh, when he would go off on a um, sort of PTSD moment and if it got dark and ugly, I would just say, I'm not doing this and walk away from it. And it was, uh, his turnaround was so fast. It was amazing. And even though all of this was coming from a place of turmoil and brain injury, it still had a huge impact on his behavior when I made my own boundaries, my own personal boundaries clear to him in, in a kind and deliberate way. So that's when I personally for myself had, had a great deal of enlightenment about boundaries. Um, it's important to know your own boundaries and to be very clear uh, to others where, where those boundaries are, what those boundaries are. And it's also important to respect the boundaries of others. And when we talk about boundaries between people and um, within yourself, I think it's also really important for people to understand when the power differential exists between two parties. If one person has a tremendous amount of power and control over another person, it's very, it's very difficult for that other person to have the boundaries they want. And we have to, it's easy to say, well, you know, they, they said it was okay with them or they didn't say no or whatever. But when, um, when you're powerless or you feel powerless, um, sometimes uh, your behavior is altered in that way too. So we have to be clear when there is a power differential and which side of that equation you're on and how that affects our ability to establish boundaries and to honor our own boundaries and the boundaries of others. So let's talk about why boundaries are important for horses. And I'm not talking now about um, horse-human relationships, but within the herd itself, um, what horses seek most is acceptance into a strong and secure herd um, where there are no bullies and no bullying exists. And um, horses, uh, when a new horse is seeking acceptance into a herd, that horse always shows um, its willingness to accept authority and hierarchy. It shows a, a contrite posture that says, I'm willing to play by the rules and be a good citizen in the herd. And their acceptance into the herd is contingent upon their respect for other members of the herd. If it is, by the way, the responsibility of the leader of the herd, who um, behaviors refer to as the alpha individual, the person at the, the person, the horse at the top of the hierarchy in a horse herd. It is that person who, or that horse that is responsible for maintaining 
discipline and order in the herd. If there is a bully, it's that alpha individual that's going to step in and protect and defend um, the the lower member of the hierarchy. So your acceptance into the herd is contingent upon your respect of others and your ability to stay in the herd and not be you know, banished from the herd um, depends on your not just respect, but your willingness to follow the rules and uh, be a good citizen within the herd. Boundaries are also important in the relationship or the interaction between horses and humans. Let's say interaction because you don't necessarily have to have a relationship with a horse in order to interact with the horse. Regardless of whether you have a relationship with a horse or not, if you're around the horse, uh, boundaries are really important. So establishing clear boundaries, what's okay and what's not okay is very important for safe handling. Remember, we're talking about thousand pound flight animals and humans that could be as small as, you know, three or four feet tall and weigh 40, 50 pounds. So boundaries and respect of the boundaries of others is really important in order for humans to be safe around horses. Because remember just a minute ago when I was talking about that power differential that might exist between humans in a relationship? Well, guess what? There's a big power differential between a horse and a human, especially if what you're talking about is a full-size horse and a pint-sized human. The uh, horse's um, just sheer physical prowess and strength and size and his reactiveness as a flight animal, his very capable means of defending himself, um, all of those things means in order for us to be safe around a horse, we need to pay a lot of attention to the horse's behavior and manners and establishing boundaries. You know, so I know a lot of people that have dogs that have no sense of boundaries at all. They jump on you. They get their muddy feet all over you. They lick you. Um, and, uh, you know, for the most part, that doesn't hurt anyone. Although uh, I hope that rude dog isn't around any elder people and knock them down to the ground or anything like that. Um, but just the other night, I was uh, over at some friends for, for dinner and um, they had a big uh, kind of unruly dog and I was sitting down enjoying a drink, leaning against the arm of the chair. And this dog came up and just rammed his nose between my elbow and my ribs, getting dog slime all over me. And then he threw his nose in the air, throwing my arm and, and consequently my drink up into the air. And it, it all happened so fast that it was uh, shocking. And so a rude dog is one thing. Uh, it wasn't hard to correct that dog. But if that had been a horse that came up and headbutted you and knocked into you and rammed into you and did something like that, it, it could have been a big calamity. So just the sheer difference in size alone makes it really important for the safety of the humans that are interacting with horses um, that 
everyone is very clear on boundaries and and rules of comportment. Um, so you're not getting run over the top of uh, by a horse. And, you know, just in general, if you think about boundaries, your own personal boundaries, uh, the, the boundaries that you respect in the people around you and the boundaries between horses and humans, in general, when boundaries are lacking, bad things tend to happen. At the very least, there can be broken trust between the two individuals. And that's not a little thing. That's a big thing. It can be sometimes irreparable. Um, trust takes a lot of time to earn, but it can be lost in a heartbeat. Crossing boundaries, crossing lines with another individual is a, is a surefire way to lose that kind of trust that existed previously. When boundaries are crossed uh, without a doubt, Resentment builds in a relationship, and once resentment starts building, it, it certainly has a huge snowball effect. And also, you know, it, on, a, on a larger scale, when boundaries are lacking, uh, people are prone to abuse, to assault, uh, to all kinds of bad actors. So there's nothing wrong or bad about boundaries. Um, they're important and we should not think of them as a bad thing. And by the way, there's such a thing um, known as clarity with kindness. And, and that refers to having well-defined boundaries. What's okay with me and what's not okay with me. The, the more clear I can be about that, um, the kinder I am to the individuals around me and to myself. So clarity and consistency builds trust. It also provides a sense of security because when boundaries are clear and respected on all sides, everybody feels safer. You just feel safer when you know there's rules and structure and that everyone is going to abide by them. So knowing and understanding rules, um, knowing everybody's going to follow the rules, knowing rules will be fairly enforced and will be enforced consistently for all actors. Um, these are all things that, that bring security and comfort and a sense of safety and well-being. And um, that all pertains to trust. So all of that is, of course, positive thing. And uh, particularly when it comes to horses. So let's Let's talk for a minute more about horses and how they deal with boundaries. Now, let's think just strictly about horse-to-horse -horse interactions or life, daily life in the horse herd. You know, you don't have to be around horses very long to understand when there's a group of horses, there is also a hierarchy. And the behaviorists refer to the equine herd structure as a linear hierarchy meaning there's an individual at the top and then there's a linear formation of status or hierarchy until you get all the way down to the bottom. Um, the individual at the top of the hierarchy is referred to as the alpha individual. The individual all the way at the bottom of the hierarchy is referred to as the omega individual. And these are horses that are vastly different by temperament. But horses anywhere in between in, in an existing herd lose and gain status by 
herding other horses, manipulating other horses to actions. That's what herding is, turning them right, turning them left, running them off. Um, they manipulate the actions of other horses in order to gain status. When a horse allows itself to be manipulated, it loses status. So these manipulations are constantly going on in the herd. Um, the more dominant horses are abundantly clear about their boundaries and sometimes their boundaries grow if they just don't like another horse. So um, also horses within a herd are very conscious of the boundaries of other horses. They are particularly conscious of the boundaries of the more dominant horses because they know that those boundaries are going to be clearly enforced. So horses will be very careful around other horses not to intrude in their space. Um, or a horse could have a total disregard for another horse in the space of them or even some contempt for another horse and chase him away. So it's what's important for us to understand is that horses are very, very aware of the boundaries of other horses uh, within the herd. And at all times, they're interacting with other horses. It reminds me of one of my favorite episodes of Horse Master TV show. And in fact, it was one of the all-time most favorite shows uh, of, of viewers as well. And it was filmed here at my ranch in Colorado. And we titled the show R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And it was about a woman. The, the, the show... Um, starred a woman and her horse and she was an English rider and she did combined training, three-day eventing. And she had a big warm blood horse and he was a cute, cute horse, big and doofy, but very cute, um, sweet horse. However, he was a little tyrant in his crown manners. And this lady was a very confident rider and this horse was apparently quite confident in his job jumping fences. But she had had a rude awakening because she had traveled to a clinic where she was training for a three-day eventing. And they had been out on the cross-country course all day training. And uh, the horse, she thought, had done pretty well. And when they were back at the barn uh, getting ready for the evening you know, classroom session, she heard one of the trainers refer to the spoiled horse and when that you know that spoiled horse and um the lady was the owner of the horse uh, the person in the tv show was appalled when she realized they were talking about her horse and its lack of ground manners and this horse would just walk all over you he would sling his head at you this is when you're leading him or doing anything he wouldn't stand still he would shoulder into you, so lean on you. Now, keep in mind, this is a big horse. He was probably, you know, uh, well over 16 hounds, probably 16 two, 16 three. And he was a big, heavy horse. And he's slinging his head at you. He's walking into you, bumping into you, stepping on you. And just jerking the lead rope, won't stand still, kind of uh, just, just like not following any rules. And what was remarkable was that everyone else around this horse recognized his appalling lack of ground manners, 
But the woman herself, the owner of the horse, didn't. She just didn't get it that she was enabling this horse to act in very rude and unsafe ways. So she brings the horse to my place for the TV show, and my job is to repair what's wrong with their relationship. And it was so funny because this horse was so cute. And I, we were always very careful in the TV show. I would never, ever, ever handle a horse prior to the camera turning on and everybody being ready because some horses train really fast and because I can't not train a horse. So if a horse, you know, if I'm holding a horse and he comes up and slings his head at me, I'm going to back him up abruptly so he never does that again. And I'm going to clearly defend my boundary. And so and that's exactly what happened with this horse. We did wait for the camera. I did not uh, do anything with the horse until we were ready to roll the scene. And I, this horse, I don't remember what he did, slung his head at me or bumped into me or something, drug, you know, it was going to drag me back to the barn. And I just snapped the rope, stomped my feet, backed him up a couple of steps and did what I call hiss and spit at him, which... Uh, I won't do over the recording because <laughs> it'll sound terrible. But, you know, I just kind of make an angry sound, uh, hissing sound. And um, that horse looked at me with big eyes. He backed up several steps. He looked at me with big eyes. He gave me a great deal of consideration. And then from that moment forward, he behaved as if he were a perfect angel. And I mean, Perfect. I don't remember. It's a long time ago. I may have done one or two other corrections at the most before this horse became a perfect angel. And that was the owner's second moment of enlightenment because she realized it was she who was enabling this horse to act the way he was acting, that it was unnecessary on top of being unsafe. And also, that the horse was apparently trained to act in a different way anyway. I didn't really train this horse. I just insisted that he act as though he had some manners. Now, mind you, this is a horse that's traveled all over and gone to horse shows and the like and is, is, is trained to ride and jump fences. And so somewhere along the line, he ought to have had some ground handling skills developed. So um, that was a great example of why it is important to have boundaries. It's important to keep in mind that even within the herd, even when no humans are around, horses are excellent at following rules and respecting the boundaries of the others. And they are much happier when that kind of structure exists. So why do boundaries and ground manners matter with horses? First and foremost, for safety reasons. Look, there is a huge size differential there between horses and humans. Horses all instinctively bite, strike, and kick when conditions warrant. Uh, but horses can do other sorts of passive-aggressive maneuvers like leaning their shoulder into you, uh, dragging you with the lead rope, headbutting you, leaning and pulling on the rope. Or even as dramatic as spinning and ripping the rope out of your hand and, and bolting away. So all of these, of course, are dangerous and, and frightening behaviors, and um, those alone are, are good reasons to have clear and enforced boundaries around horses. But also, 
in, in, I can't say it's equally as important as safety, but a very close second is that a horse with good ground manners is not only safer to be around, but he's more pleasant to be around. He's liked better by the people and, and horse professionals around him. He's treated with more kindness and he has a more secure future. You know, you don't know what's going to happen to you as the owner of that horse tomorrow. If that horse should find himself changing hands or going to a new home, look, horses every day get relinquished to horse rescues because they're displaying unsafe behavior. So when we allow horses to develop um, rude and dangerous behaviors, we also potentially condemn them to an unsecure future. You know, horses end up at rescues or way worse than that um, just because nobody wants to be around them. Your vet and your farrier and the caretakers around your horse will treat the horse better, like the horse better, and be safer around your horse when he has good ground manners. And also another really important reason to have well-established and well-defined boundaries between you and your horse is what that means to your relationship with the horse. Horses are always happiest in the presence of a strong and benevolent leader who will take care of them at all times, protect them, a strong leader who they trust to be clear, fair, and consistent in their comportment, a leader that treats all the individuals in the herd equally. So this is what horses seek out in the herd setting, that sense of security and safety and rules and order and peace in the herd. And, you know, when I hear people who think that having clear boundaries or establishing clear boundaries is mean or cruel or unfair, it makes me concerned on a number of levels. One is that person should understand boundaries better. And the other is that that person is lacking a fundamental understanding of what a great relationship with a horse is. And I think most people that have had it would agree that when you have such a strong, bonded, and trusting relationship with that horse, that he will go with you anywhere and do anything you ask of it, that he knows you better than you know yourself, and you know that horse better than he knows himself, that he knows what you're thinking before he thinks it, and you know what he's thinking before he thinks it. Um, these are the um, fabulous things that can happen when you have the kind of relationship with a horse in which you are a leader that is accepting and clear, has clarity with kindness, and well-defined boundaries, well-defined rules and enforcement and fairness. Um, that's the kind of leadership that horses seek out because it makes them feel safe. And for me as a rider and an owner of horses, it's the kind of relationship that I enjoy having with that horse, that total sense of contentment, and the horse wanting my acceptance, wanting my approval, feeling safe with me, willing to do anything I ask it to do, and trusting that I always have its back and that I'll always take care of it. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey? 
Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I've not answered your question yet, I hope to get to it soon. Or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So stay tuned. Our first question comes from Michelle, and she's actually one of my interactive coaching students. So I have a little bit of understanding of Michelle and her horses. And this question has been edited a little bit for parody. Michelle says, can a horse fully recover mentally after being on stall rest for four months due to a terrible ligament tear? This horse is afraid of everything now and is very hard to ride or deal with, period. Well, Michelle, unfortunately, this is a question that always surfaces periodically because there are some injuries that horses endure that require stall rest. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, and for that long a period of time, horses can actually have, you know, I I guess it's not unlike PTSD in humans where you know, you keep in mind that flight and the ability to roam and move at will is one of the strongest characteristics of a horse. So depending on a horse's temperament, if he's a very high strung or forward moving or energetic, nervous type of horse, this could of course be far worse on that horse than a than a horse that was normally quiet and reluctant to move anyway. So the other thing that can come into play is the horse's level of training prior to the incident that required the confinement. And if he, again, getting back to our main topic of today's podcast about the boundaries and how that relates to ground manners, if you have good manners established in a horse, clear boundaries, clear expectations, then even when a horse endures this kind of uh, difficulty of confinement, they're still going to act up and because they just have so much nervous energy to get out and they, they, they're overwhelmed and out of control of their own behavior. But a quick little reminder uh, is enough to keep that horse contained. If you had a horse in confinement for that long, that had very little training and handling or or poor ground manners prior to the confinement, it could really get bad because when the other, you know, sort of underlying elephant in the room, if you will, is is when you are rehabbing a horse from that bad an injury that he, he did require stall rest for, for weeks or months or uh, months on end then you don't, you have very limited ability to discipline the horse if he does act up. And so let's say I'm supposed to be, you know, generally when we had a horse on confinement for however long period of time, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to begin to hand walk the horse out of the stall in order to try to contain and control the and limit the amount of movement that he does. If you take a horse that's been locked up from f- for four months 
recovering from injury and you just turn them loose, they're going to run their guts out. They're going to run until they drop and almost certainly re-injure whatever happened to begin with. So we have a period of hand walking where the whole idea is that the horse's movement is controlled. But often these horses are so beside themselves from the confinement that while you're trying to walk them, they're rearing and bucking and prancing and cantering in place and 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 trying to to still get away from you. So you can't just, you know, jerk the rope and slam into a stop and back him up because you also might injure him. Um, the worst thing would be if he got away from you and ran off and re-injured himself. So we we enter this period of time where it's very difficult to correct the horse for his um, his behavior when he's been confined like that. We understand why he's acting the way he's acting, um, but it's our job to keep him from moving too much. It's a very challenging situation. This horse, Michelle, you're talking about sounds like it it's gone beyond just the simple too much energy rambunctious behavior and into this horse is is more emotionally traumatized and he's lost all confidence he's afraid of everything he's afraid of other horses he's afraid of being out of the stall he's afraid of being in the stall he's afraid of you know go doing anything and he also sounds like he's just on the verge of an emotional meltdown at any time. And Michelle has shared with me through uh, my interactive coaching program that now this horse is rehabbed to the point where they're starting to ride him, but he's spooking all the time. He's a big horse. He's, I believe he's off the track thoroughbred. He, he kind of wants to bolt. Um, so he's, and, and again, you have the same situation. If you let that horse bolt and run away with you, the chances of re-injury are huge. So we're supposed, we as the rider are supposed to actually be controlling and limiting the horse's exercise. So these horses are because they're sort of on constantly on the edge of having an emotional meltdown. It doesn't take much to set them off. I do want to say, and I've I've said this directly to Michelle, and sh- they have already done this. This horse is being monitored carefully by a vet. But when a horse is afraid of everything and spooking all the time for seemingly unknown reasons, um, that can often be a pain response. So, so no matter what, when you have a horse that has endured this kind of, of trauma, um, not just the injury, but the rehab and the confinement um, and everything else. Um, it's it's really important to have a pain uh, pain or sickness ruled out. So you want to really do a thorough assessment from a vet on this horse. Almost certainly, the horse needs to be on some kind of ulcer treatment. A horse that's enduring that kind of a, an emotional stress is almost certainly has ulcers brewing. So um, that's probably warranted as well. And a push comes to shove, they do, um, a vet can prescribe anti-anxiety drugs for horses, uh, just like the drugs that they prescribe for people. And this can help a horse get through 
a difficult period of his life like that due to um, the long-term confinement that this horse had. So that's another thing for you to consider as well. You know, I would be for sure looking at training this horse to lower its head on the command from the ground, from the saddle. I would be doing a lot of exercises to instill confidence in this horse, praise him when he's calm, um, develop a repertoire of calm down exercises that you can do with this horse, both from the ground and from the saddle. And hopefully time will heal all wounds. So good luck, Michelle. Our second question comes from Marty, and she is actually another one of our interactive, uh, one of my interactive coaching students. And Marty submitted this question online through Academy Support for the podcast. And Marty says, I write English, thus with two hands on the reins. If, when halted, I do something like get out my phone to take a picture and need to hold the reins in one hand, my horse seems to sense this and does not want to stand still. Is this misbehavior or am I giving him some subtle signal that it's okay to move? It's a great question, Marty. And always, you know, it's easier for me to answer questions when I can actually witness with my own two eyes what's going on between horses and riders. But I think I have an idea of what's going on here. I happen to know, and because of the um, you know, preamble that Marty wrote for this question, that she has worked with this horse on standing still on the ground and in the saddle, and he's pretty good at it, and he abides by the rules. It's This is just sort of a unique situation in which he doesn't seem to abide by the rules. And I can think of two things that could be happening here, Marty. Um, that causes your horse to think he should not stand still. One is, and this one of the most common reasons that a horse won't stand still with a rider on his back is because the rider is holding the reins in the ready position. When we ask a horse to stand still, you give him the cues to stop. And as soon as he stops, you loosen the reins all the way up until they're laying down on his neck. And that is your horse's signal that you're not going to ask him to do anything and he should stay put. If a rider asks the horse to stop and then continues to hold the reins, it feels to the horse as if you're getting ready to ask him to go again. So he becomes fidgety and impatient. He's waiting for that total release of pressure um, in order to stand still and stop and sort of zone out. So that's one, that's the very first thing I always look for when an individual is having trouble uh, with a horse standing still. Actually, that's not true because the first thing I look for is discomfort in the horse because often, and we see this kind of stuff at clinics a lot, you know, keep in mind that when I would do a horsemanship clinic, I would, you know, meet 20, 20 or more horses each weekend. And so I see a lot of different horses in a lot of different situations. And often in a clinic, you know, I call the horses into the middle and I ask them to stand while I explain something. So uh, it's always obvious when a horse won't stand still. So I've learned to observe this. And the very first thing I try to observe is, is it discomfort that's causing the horse not to stand still? It might not be obvious to people that have not 
literally seen thousands of different horses in an arena. But uh, the horse is uncomfortable. He sort of fidgets back and forth. He's not trying to go somewhere or do something or bored. And he otherwise stands still, but he kind of shifts his body around in order to find comfort. And the second thing that I look for when a horse won't stand still in a clinic is what is the rider doing? Because if the rider brings that horse to the middle, asks that horse to stop, and then continues to hold the reins um, close and, and sit in a alert position, the horse gets the feeling that the rider's about to ask him to go again because we always shorten our reins before we ask the horse to do anything. So it's a miscue to the horse in that instance. However, there's one more possibility, Marty, in your equation that could be coming into play here. If you are using a snaffle bit, a regular snaffle bit with one joint or two in the middle. It could be that by you putting both reins in one hand, you are making the horse uncomfortable in the mouth. So remember that jointed bit sort of collapses around the jaw, the bottom jaw of the horse. That is why we say no matter ride, whether you ride Western or English, if you ride in the snaffle, you should ride two-handed and not one. Because when you take the reins into one hand, it squeezes that bit together just a little bit more. Not unlike if you're leading a horse that's bridled, one of the very worst things you can do is hold the two reins right behind the chin of the horse squeezing the the bit together. It's extremely uncomfortable for the horse. And often he will try to convey his discomfort by, you know, shaking his head, throwing his head, trying to jerk the reins away from you. Um, And people just ignore it or they think the horse is acting poorly. So we don't ever, um, particularly in the snaffle bit, but in any bit really, you never want to hold the reins in such a way that squeezing the bit together because that's squeezing around the jaw of the horse. And so it could be that even though you're up on the horse and uh, a distance from his mouth, by you putting the reins together in one hand, it's just enough to make the horse uncomfortable. And he's he's just kind of getting fidgety because of that. So that's a few things for you to think about. I, I doubt it's the physical uh, pain issue with this horse because I know what good care you take of your horses and I also know you you watch closely for things like that. Um, so I would look to one of the other two uh, rain solutions. Our final question today comes from Linda via email. And Linda says, I have an eight-year-old gelding who was orphaned at three weeks old. I bought him without knowing this. Now I'm having disrespect issues that I need to fix. Help! Well, I I guess I should be careful what I wish for when I ask you to make your questions concise (laughs) because there's not a lot of information here. I have a pretty good idea of the things you're talking about, Linda, when you say you're having disrespect issues. I'm sure these are spatial in nature because that is what tends to happen with orphaned foals. The fact that he was orphaned at three weeks and not birth is an interesting thing that could have resulted in him being coddled a little bit more. And some of us might say spoiled in that process. So what happens with orphan foals and the reason why um, probably nobody disclosed that information 
Um, first of all, I will say that, you know, in general, amongst knowledgeable people, orphaned foals, you know, kind of get an eye roll. And it's like, oh, no, you know, how, how rude is this horse? And because we know that raising orphaned foals by hand can um, easily lead to the horse being overhandled and overcoddled as a small baby horse. And then when that horse becomes a thousand pounds and he still thinks he ought to be able to sit in your lap and he thinks that he can control you and manipulate you because you'll always, you know, be his mommy. Um, though, those are the kinds of, of problems we run into. And sometimes orphaned foals can develop very challenging behaviors and attitudes that I'm sure have to do with what you're referring to as disrespect issues. I don't think there's anything different that I would do with this horse and I would any horse that needed to learn ground manners. And by the way, this is a clear, a clear indication of why it's important to establish boundaries. And by the way, there is a proper way to raise an orphan foal without causing these problems. It happens all the time. And that is you bucket raise the foal, you keep it with other horses, you find a nursemaid, you want that horse to be properly socialized within a herd uh, so that it learns proper boundaries from day one. The disrespect issues that you speak of, Linda, are because that horse learned there are no boundaries basically with people. It was probably sleeping in their living room for goodness sakes. So the, the horse just learns bad stuff from the start. Or stuff that, you know, it's not bad to him. It's just perfectly fine. It's just stuff we wish he didn't know. Same reason why young foals can be mishandled in ways that make them much more difficult to train when they become of riding age. Because everything we do in the training of horses, we ask them to move out of our space, to yield to pressure, to yield to space. And when you overhandle and spoil a young horse, you're teaching them the opposite. Um, so this has a lot to do with today's main subject of boundaries. And I would do nothing more with this horse than I would do with any horse I was trying to teach ground manners. I would use my lead line leadership techniques. Um, you can find out more about that online, streaming or hard copy, however you want it. And I would just do simple exercises. Also, I have some free videos on my website. In particular, I'm thinking about some of the daily doses where I work with a young horse by the name of Woodrow, who was definitely not an orphan horse, but who was definitely has an attitude and is full of himself and kind of up in your space and disrespectful of space. She might get an idea of the things you need to do, but this horse needs to learn ground manners, needs to learn to yield to space and respect your authority. And that shouldn't be that hard to fix. It's going to require you stepping up to the plate and knowing what you're doing. So I think the video could be really useful for you. That's all the questions we have time for today. We still have a few excellent questions in the lineup that I couldn't get to this time, but I'll keep plugging away in my What the Hay segment each month. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you. I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. 
So if you have questions for What the Hey or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here's a few tips if you want your question answered on the air. I would greatly appreciate it. If you keep your questions concise, give me the details I need, and please proofread it before hitting send. This helps us out a lot. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of its searchable content. Or you can enroll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence. Or better yet, join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum for you and your horse, plus personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse, or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. I really appreciate that. It helps me out a lot and better yet, it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.